This episode of the Eggology Club podcast is sponsored by Smarty Pants Vitamins. Getting all the nutrients you need can be a real challenge. The good news is Smarty Pants Vitamins developed the perfect premium gummy vitamins packed with essential nutrients like omega-3 fish oil, vitamin D, vitamin D3, B12, and folate. Doctors are raving about this all-in-one yummy vitamin supplement because it's non-GMO and allergen-free with no synthetic colors, artificial flavors, or sweeteners. Not only will you be doing great things for your own body, but for each bottle of Smarty Pants vitamins sold, they donate a nutrient grant to the Vitamin Angel program, helping people in developing nations get the nutrients they need. Find Smarty Pants vitamins at your local Target, Costco, Whole Foods, Walgreens, or CVS stores, or visit www.smartypantsvitamins.com to find an online retailer near you. This is Eggology Club Podcast, episode number 13, Having Faith in Your Eggs. Welcome to a new club, the Eggology Club. This podcast is redefining the modern-day journey to parenthood. Meet your co-hosts and new BFFs, Riddell, Valerie, and Kara. We're sharing our unfiltered real-life stories, and we hope you join the conversation, too. Follow us at eggologyclub.com. Hey, hey, and welcome to Eggology Club Podcast. I'm your host, Valerie. I'm so glad you're able to join the show today. I have a special guest and interview that we are going to have on this show, this bonus episode. You know, it's kind of like our baker's dozen Season one has been completed, but we just couldn't end the season without airing this show. We were asking our listeners to guess who the special guest was for this show. If you guess the correct name and person, then we will send you a signed copy of her book. But without further ado, I want to tell you that for episode number 13, our special bonus episode is Faith Seely. Her fertility journey, it's a remarkable one. Faith just has such a great story and I'm excited for you to hear what it's all about. Let's tune in to hear what Faith has to tell us. Hi, Faith. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. This is an important thing to talk about. Yeah, so how about we start a little bit about yourself? I am, uh, well, I guess what's most germane to this topic, I'm a mother of two little kids. Um, They are three and a half and five and a half. Uh, We live in New York City. I am on CBS Sunday Morning. I'm on the NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And I host a show on PBS in which I interview scientists about movies and TV called Science Goes to the Movies. And I'm the author of a book called Approval Junkie, which has a lot of essays about my life, including one called Ovary Achiever, which chronicles my journey to becoming a mother for the first time in my 40s. So let's dive into that. Sure. Tell us a little bit about how fertility got on your radar and have you always known you wanted to be a mom? I have always known I wanted to be a mother. My mother died when I was 26 and she had just turned 53. And that early loss uh, intensified my commitment to being a mother. And my desire to be a mother was always notional. I, I, I did not go through my 30s with a kind of physical ache that I hear some women discuss about, about not having babies um, in their 20s or 30s. I, I, knew, I knew I wanted to be a mother. I also 
always knew I was going to be a mother. I have to say, perhaps I was naive. I'm certainly very lucky or blessed, I guess is the word people like to use today. But I had a certainty I was going to be a mother. I, I, I didn't know how, I didn't know with whom, but I always knew I was going to be a mother. I have two older brothers and when one of my brothers and his husband became parents. On the day I turned 39, I, I it really solidified it for me. I thought my, my niece, whom they adopted, who's African-American, um, was born on my on my 39th birthday. And I just thought, well, if, if two men just became parents, I'm for damn sure going to become a parent. That's how I knew I was going to be a mother. Uh, I was married in my 30s for a short time and am grateful that first husband, whom I call my husband, um, is is not now the father of my children because the father of my children now is my amazing husband, John, and he's a wonderful father. And the way we became parents really seemed faded. It was that discussions that you guys had when you were when you were talking to each other and courting each other? When I was 38, I decided that it was probably time to think very seriously about my fertility. And I at that point, I was uh, on my way to being divorced. I was long separated from my husband, and I had was in a relationship that I knew wasn't going to be permanent. And so I went to a amazing, I went to an amazing fertility doctor in um, New York City named Dr. Maureen Mumji. I uh, thank her in the back of my book, and I'm still in touch with her because she helped make all my dreams come true. And I said to her, I'm 38. I have never been pregnant, never by accident, never on purpose. I have had, well, if I say unprotected sex, that sounds very irresponsible. But I, I had not been on birth control in certain monogamous relationships and never gotten pregnant. And so I said, "Let you know, where do we start? Because I know I want to be a mother. And it, and it looks at this point in my life like I'll end up being a mother on my own. So she said, great, this is the time to do it. And she ran a bunch of tests and she discovered that I had a um, what's called a septate uterus. And so had I ever been pregnant in my life, it would have resulted in a miscarriage. And there could have been some early, whatever they call chemical pregnancies or early miscarriages that I didn't even know had been miscarriages. So she did surgery on me when I was 38. So I was single, but this was the first real sort of commitment I made to becoming a mother was having the surgery on my uterus to know that in the future I could sustain a pregnancy. When I was 39, I came to her and she said, maybe you should freeze your eggs. And I was very surprised it was an option. I had just assumed that I was too old to freeze my eggs, that 39-year-old eggs were too old. And she, she said, no, let's do it. So I was thrilled by this. I was dating up a storm. I was dating anyone anyone would introduce me to. But fully committed at that point in my life, I was making... I was making plans in my head for becoming a mother within the next year. And if it meant leaving New York to live with my brother and his husband in DC and to commute to all my work in New York, I was gonna do that. I had asked a couple of dear friends of mine um, who happened to be gay, if they would consider being sperm donors or even if they wanted to co-parent. Thankfully, both of them who were very honored and very considerate and thoughtful about it, both of them said, no, it wasn't the right time for them, which all worked out perfectly because a couple months after, Two months after I turned 39, I had the first date with my now husband, John, and it was, it happened to be the night before I started the process of freezing my eggs. So the day after our first date, he texted me, you know, about how much fun he had and what are you doing? Where are you right now? And I was still in a Blackberry back then. And I put the Blackberry under the table and I actually texted him. I'm at the NYU orientation for uh, freezing my eggs. 
And there weren't a lot of emojis back then, so he just kind of concocted one that was, you know, a, a, a mouth wide open, like, oh! And so our entire dating, the, the beginning of our courtship was timed around injections and pelvic rest. And in our vows that we exchanged in Rome, I said, I knew you were the one when you let me put my syringe in your refrigerator. So it's amazing that you had such a progressive doctor that was like, yes, absolutely. Let's freeze your eggs. Did she ever try to pr promote embryos at that time? At that time, it was freezing just the eggs. And then it was so soon after I froze my eggs that it was clear that John and I were going to get married and that I, ha I had found my sperm donor. We didn't need to talk about embryos at that time. I just knew I was going to take advantage of everything science had to offer. And that combined with prayer and positive thinking. And I do diligence I, on your part. Yeah. And I should also give a big shout out to Dr. Jamie Griffo at NYU Langone. He did my retrieval. And then years later, he actually implanted the five-day blastocyst that became my daughter. And in a really lovely coda, um, he was on my PBS show a couple weeks ago. We, I had a conversation about Handmaid's Tale and fertility and reproductive freedom. And my guest was the very man who helped me become a mother. So it was, it was very moving for both of us. You got married to John and with your relationship, did you go straight to creating the embryos together or did you try naturally? Before John and I even got engaged, I was pregnant naturally. I had a miscarriage a year after or around a year after our first date. Um, we got engaged soon after that. And the day I got married, I, I was five weeks pregnant. And so naturally, my first successful pregnancy is now my five and a half year old son, Augustus. That was against all odds. I went on my honeymoon being told to expect to have a miscarriage. And so he, he is, he is a miracle in, to me in more ways than one. In 2013, when my son was a little over a year old, Dr. Moomji and Dr. Griffo got me ready and I became pregnant with my daughter, who's now three and a half. She was born in 2014. So when I first became a mother naturally, I was 41. When I gave birth to my daughter, I was 43. Amazing. And in earlier generation, I could have been just that aunt, that, that aunt who always wanted to have children but never could. It is true. I, I'm sure people use this word all the time. It's probably overused. But to me, it is truly a miracle of science that, that I was able to become a mother of of two splendid, healthy children. Yeah, we're living in a generation that is very fortunate that we have technology on our side and, and you're living proof of that. I wanna say that I'm also, I'm also aware of how lucky I am that I could afford it. There are, it's very easy for me to pat myself on the back for how I got a surgery and froze my eggs and went through all these rounds of IVF, but I also, I also could afford it and, and you know, Egg freezing for single women, I don't believe, is covered by any insurance. I don't know. You, you probably know more than I. Did the clinics have any, like, package deals, or did was there any negotiation? or Not on my part. I mean, I went through a, a private fertility, Dr. Moomji, who worked with NYU. I had an extremely personalized experience with a doctor, so I wasn't part of, like, an outpatient NYU program that I know a lot of people use. And then the actual harvesting and implantation was handled through Dr. Griffo at NYU. Whatever it cost... To make me a mother, I was I was going to do. How many eggs did you freeze? Uh, the harvest was 21, and they froze 18. 18, okay. Well, that's great for 39. I'm very conscious when I talk about this stuff that there are women who, quote-unquote, do everything right and still don't get to become mothers. So I, I, at the same time, I always consistently express my gratitude. I don't want to seem self-congratulatory, because uh, I'm also incredibly lucky. I was pregnant five times in three years. 
and it resulted into healthy kids. And I know some people might think that sounds sad that I was pregnant five times and didn't have five kids, but I feel five times in three years in your 40s and have two healthy kids. So happy that your success story of your frozen eggs working, which is very rare. Not a lot of women have gone back and used their eggs. So data on that is, is very limited. I've never used the word infertility applied to my situation. To me, it was always fertility treatments. I'm, I'm going to this doctor. I'm going to this acupuncturist. I shouldn't, I shouldn't forget to mention, I, ha I have a naturopath, Gabrielle Francis in New York, and she gets women in their forties pregnant naturally without, without egg freezing and IVF. And the acupuncture I did with her and the Mayan abdominal massage, which Mayan shamans have been doing in the jungles of Belize for centuries, all, all of those things helped make this happen. Yeah, it sounds like you had a lot of contributing factors. Were you really big about working out and eating healthy as well throughout your younger years? Oh, always. Yeah. I guess in retrospect, that helped too. I loved being pregnant. I, I would do it again. I have two frozen embryos and there are I'm 46 years old and I, I still think of those, I still think of those embryos. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do think about expanding my family. It is, my husband and I have discussed it a lot. It, it's just, it's a, it's a tough option. We don't live in a big place. New York is incredibly, incredibly expensive, a, a place to raise children. And I, I love my career and I work a lot and I give every other second I have to my kids because I want to. You know, I have a boy and a girl and as well. And I would have been blessed if I had two girls or two boys. But there's this French phrase. I don't know if you've ever heard it. Le, le choix du roi. The choice of kings. We got these two kooks, as we say. And John and I are both 46 and we're still pinching ourselves. So that's a very long-winded answer that says I will, I will probably not become a mother again. But I do think of those frozen embryos. Yeah. Have you ever thought about maybe what would happen to them if you choose that you don't want to implant them? It's something I can keep putting off in my mind. It's, it's a very personal and, um, I've used this word before in this conversation, um, spiritual decision. I'm certainly someone who is all for reproductive choice, but the experience of going through IVF and egg freezing and having frozen embryos, um, has, has made me appreciate why people are what they call pro-life. I haven't met one person who's for reproductive health, who's not for life. <laughs> but I, but it, it does really, the whole thing makes you wonder about those big questions. Like when does life begin and, and what is a life? And I think about two miscarriages I have, and I think of them as, as little, little souls are the older siblings of my kids that, that made way for the, I mean, I write about this in my book. I, I say that I thank God for the, for the babies who were mine for weeks, who made room for the babies who are mine for life. What were some of your coping mechanisms when you dealt with the miscarriages? Just having John. A another thing I'm well aware of about how lucky I am is I, I was ready to become a mother on my own. And it's very easy to say that, be all gung-ho. Yeah, I would have been a single mother. Um, that was my plan. I don't know what that would have been like. I, I was trying to prepare for it. But the fact that the love of my life came in exactly when he did, right when I was <laughs> shooting myself up with hormones and helping to create those 18 eggs. And by the way, my husband is Jewish, I'm not, but the, but the number 18 in Judaism, it means life. I, I never felt like, oh no, I'm not gonna become a mother. You just kept I mean, pressing forward. Yeah, and also just, you know, Dr. Mumji, she had this really quiet confidence about her. She, I don't know how she manages it because she doesn't, she doesn't give you outsized or improbable hope. She heard, she just has this certainty about what she does and how 
her, her favorite pronoun was we, you know, we're going to get you there. We're going to do team. this. It's a team aspect. Yeah. So how is motherhood watching your little, <laughs> your little kids grow up? You know, we think when we become parents, who are these little people going to be? Who, who are they going to grow up to be? And, and this, it's a stunning part for me is what my children have made of me, what they have turned me into. Not not who they are going to be or who they already are. They change me every day. As I put the dedication to my book, I said my book is for John, my husband, who reminds me that I'm always enough. But it's also for Augustus and Minerva, who remind me that I am more than I ever thought I could be. So motherhood is intense, gratifying, exhausting, every, every adjective you could apply. And I don't like to make the primary focus of my identity motherhood. I am proud of what I do in the world and it includes being a mother. It's, it's important to me that once I had kids, all of my writing and all of my work didn't become mommy stories. Yeah. But I get why it does for people. I mean, I mean, there is no doubt that motherhood is the most important aspect of my life, but it has informed every other bit of my life. It's changed my feminism. It's changed how I view the world. It's changed the kind of stories I want to do. It's changed the kind of questions I ask of people. I mean, my, my book is not entirely about becoming a mother for sure, but it absolutely, I started writing the proposal for my book when my son was a year old. Um, and it would just, becoming a mother released creativity in me in every way. Not, not just about parenthood, but for me, something, something in my brain and heart and soul. You just view the world, the world becomes bigger and your past becomes more alive because you're reliving things through your children. And by the way, Valerie, everything I am saying, I feel like is such a cliche. I feel like all parents say this. Um, and that's another thing about parenthood is that it is both so unique to you, but also universal. It's very, it's very paradoxical. Um, there's a chapter in my book about breastfeeding, which I hope is both funny and moving. And I say that it's the perfect metaphor for motherhood because it's terrible and miraculous and isolating and bonding and seemingly lasts forever, poignant and ephemeral. And all of that describes motherhood as well. I mean, I can't believe I walked my kid to kindergarten today. I can't believe my kid goes to kindergarten. It's this little baby, this little five pound baby that we thought may not make it. He like scoots to kindergarten in his little blazer. Is it like, man, we made this human and it just yeah. is so miraculous. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to diminish how younger parents feel about becoming mothers and fathers. I'm, I'm sure every, uh, almost everybody is incredibly grateful for it. But there's something about, John and I always say it to each other, there's something about becoming first-time parents in your 40s after thinking maybe that ship had sailed. John had been married before. I had been married before. I haven't had a mother for the last 20 years. I, I, like I kept saying, I felt certain that I would become a mother somehow, but I didn't know how, and I didn't know what these little people would be. And we are constantly, constantly telling each other how lucky we are. And, and we tell our kids, thank you for choosing me. And my son is now convinced that's how it works. He's always like, I'm so glad I chose you, mom. You're the best mom ever. I, I made a really good decision. <laughs> That is so precious. I can't even stop. That's just so much. It's so adorable. Well, Faith, this has been a Very fun lovely. conversation. Thank you for being so open about your story, how you chose to egg freeze and how you had miscarriages, because that can be a very vulnerable thing and helps the listeners hear that there's many different ways that becoming a parent can, can transpire. I mean, even with your example of your brother deciding to adopt 
there's many different paths to parenthood? There are. I also want to say that, you know, I have a friend who wasn't sure if she ever wanted to be a mom, but she froze her eggs twice. She has 40 eggs frozen. Then she decided she doesn't want to be a mom. But the, but the piece that that gave her, again, she could afford it. Um, but the piece that that gave her, that that's worth something too. It's it's the harnessing of all your options. You may not become a mom. You may you may be on the fence about it. But but she and now she's happily married in her forties to someone. They don't want to have kids. Um, and but that you know that was part of her path. And at the same time, I was um, working on conceiving my daughter. One of my best friends was forty eight. She knew she was going to be. She had to be a mother. So she was single. She went through a whole bunch of IVF and had a miscarriage every time. So she got an egg donor, a sperm donor, and at 49, carried her twin daughters herself. So gave birth naturally to twins that came from an egg donor and a sperm donor. And she's an incredibly happy 51, 52-year-old mother to four-year-olds. So there, there, I think there's a path for just about everybody. Yeah, there's lots of really great options out there. And it's just about learning what option is right for you. And sometimes that changes based on what happens to us because we can't predict that part, right? So No, we can't predict that part. I wouldn't do anything different because, wow, look how lucky I am, how my life turned out. But if I had thought about freezing my eggs earlier in my 30s, I think that would have taken away some of the pain, certainly, of my divorce because there was an urgency around my divorce. Uh-oh, I'm 30, getting married at 36, at 37, 30. You know, my, my marriage is falling apart. How am I going to become a mother? And I think if I had had eggs in the bank, that, that would have taken away some of that pain. And I also just want to say, I, I appreciate what you're doing so much because I don't understand any secrecy attached to all of this. I, I recognize that people feel shame. I don't understand why. And so it's, I talked about freezing my eggs on CBS Sunday morning. I talked about becoming a mother in my 40s on that show. In my book, I write about it. If anybody's listening and feels any sense of shame, there's no shame around it. The more information you know, the better. Take advantage of everything you can. If you don't have a lot of money and you're graduating from college, ask your grandparents to give you $2,000 and start saving that so when you're 32, you can freeze your eggs and not marry the wrong person because you feel like you hear a clock ticking. And freezing eggs doesn't doesn't isn't the magic bullet for everybody, but it, it can be. In my case, it is. But I guess I'm kind of a walking advertisement of, of how everything can work out for the best. Educate yourself, learn about all your options, helping your future self along the path that you don't know you're going to take yet. Yeah. And you're becoming, in those, even if it seems far away, in those instances, you're already becoming the best mother you can be because you are deliberately choosing motherhood. And you and once you go down that route, you will never take it for granted. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Valerie. And at the risk of sounding presumptuous, you're going to be an amazing mom. Your kids are going to choose you, and they're going to be very lucky. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Wasn't that a great interview with Faith? I was so thankful that she was so willing to tell her story, her fertility journey, freezing her eggs at 39, way back when, when it was still kind of experimental kind of a big deal. So I'm so glad that she had great doctors that helped her on this journey and was able to complete her family, thankfully, because of IVF. Don't forget to get a copy of her book, Approval Junkies, available on Amazon. Just want to say thank you so much, Faith, for donating your time and telling your story. Uh, we are so glad that you were on the show. 
Let's take a quick break for our sponsors. Studies show that up to 70% of women do not ovulate during the middle of the month, making conception for some a real challenge. That's where OvuSense comes in. OvuSense is a two-part real-time ovulation system, including a patented personal sensor and a smartphone app to accurately monitor your results. OvuSense can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and confirm it with 99% accuracy. To learn more, visit www.ovusense.com. That's O-V-U-S-E-N-S-E. Com. Use the code EGGCLUB for a 25% discount off your subscription pack. Freezing your eggs can involve a lot of doctor's visits, blood tests, and genetic screens, and not all doctors take insurance. Now, with Better, there's a simple way to submit your bills to your health insurance and get back the money you are owed. With the Better app, simply take a photo of your out-of-pocket medical bills. Better works with your insurance to get you paid back. Download the app or sign up at getbetter.co. That's G-E-T-B-E-T-T-E-R dot C-O. Some things are just better. I just can't thank these sponsors enough. Just thanking them for participating and taking a chance on our small little podcast that's just grown exponentially over the last 12, 13 weeks. Thank you to Dr. Amy, The Egg Whisperer, Future Family, Cicero DX, the creator of Recepia DX, Fertile Girl, Tender Life Care, Pinto, My Lab Box, No Denial Foods, The Glue, which features the Nala Fertility app, Inch Me Living, Nest Egg Fertility, Extend Fertility, Conceivable Coach, Be Safe Meds, Inspire with the Cherish Ads, Opinato, Cora, Seattle Sperm Bank, Freeze My Eggs app, My Beehive, Pregnantish, Smarty Pants Vitamins, Better, the Claims app, and Fertility Focus. Plus, a big shout out to our season sponsor, Vino Diva. If you haven't already gone and got your little black aeration straw from Amazon, you need to check that out. It's a must-have, especially this holiday season. Thank you to all of our sponsors. I hope you can benefit from the sponsors as well. Don't forget to use the code EGGCLUB. Tell anyone that is thinking about fertility or egg freezing is on the fence, needs some guidance, wants some help, that we're here for you. If you have any questions, concerns, ideas, things that are on your mind, you can email us at eggologyclub at gmail.com. You can also follow all of our social media, which is at eggologyclub. Our phone number is 978-EGGCLUB. And we'd love to hear from you. Please leave us a ratings on iTunes. That does help our podcast become more well-known and help others. But in the meantime, here's a bunch of other podcasts to support as well. Have you heard of the podcast, How Did We Get Here? by E&M. It's a journey of a couple that have struggled with infertility and have decided to live a child-free life. So that's a really great podcast for you to check out. Don't forget about Maybe Gaby. That's with Jen and Becky. They are a lesbian couple that are pursuing parenthood. The Fertility Podcast by Natalie Silverman. She's a great resource. She's based in the UK and works with a lot of fertility stories, journeys to parenthood, unique things that uh, would, would be dealt with on an infertility journey. The Egg Whisper Show by Dr. Amy is also a good one to check out. And then there's a newer podcast called IVFML by Anna 
and Simon. They're a lovely couple on the East Coast. Modern Babies, which is produced by Jenea and Nova Entertainment. They have a lot of fertility-related content that you can absorb. And for any potential wannabe fathers out there, The Good, The Dad, The Ugly is a pretty cool fatherhood podcast for you to listen to with Seth Jennings and Jamie Tucker. So those are a couple of podcasts that will keep you busy while you wait for season two of the Idology Club to come back in the process of editing 12 more episodes now. So sad that this is the end of season one, but please tell a friend and we'd love to hear from you. So don't be afraid to reach out. We really appreciate you listening. So thank you for tuning in and until next time, Valerie out. We would love it if you get social with us. Follow us at Egology Club. We can stay in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's a great way for us to answer questions, give you special content, and update you when season two of the Egology Club podcast is about to drop. Today's episode of Egology Club was written and hosted by Valerie Landis, Stephanie Linder, Radel Peichler, and Kara Egber. The show was produced and mixed by Shannon Holly. Caricature artwork by Peter Scott. Logo and cover art by Lily Chen. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, leave a rating, and contact us at eggologyclub.com. Do you love red wine and coffee, but you care about keeping your teeth white? Then you need to be a diva, a Vino Diva. Vino Diva is a reusable wine aeration straw. It aerates your wine with every sip to make it taste incredible. And it protects your smile from red wine and coffee stains. Search Vino Diva on Amazon today. Every woman has the little black dress. Now, every woman needs the little black straw. Vino Diva. Available now with Amazon Prime.